Appendix 2, Oration, by Frederick Douglass. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Edward Graham V. After the procession arrived upon the grounds, the stand was soon filled with guests. Immediately behind the speaker's stand were seated President Grant, Senator Ferry, the members of the Cabinet, and the Justices of the Supreme Court, Senators Morton, Boutwell, Spencer, Sherman, Bruce, and others of the Senate, Assistant Secretary of the Treasury, Conant, Honorables S.S. Cox, N.P. Banks, and other members of the House, the Japanese Minister, Sergeant-at-Arms French, Dr. C.C. Cox, Honorable W.B. Snell, Dr. J.B. Blake, the distinguished gentlemen who were to take part in the exercises, and many other distinguished personages. The Marine Band, stationed at the right of the stand, opened the exercises by playing Hail Columbia. Professor John M. Langston, Chairman of the National Committee of Arrangements, presided. Bishop John M. Brown of the African M.E. Church offered a devout prayer, during the utterance of which a solemn and reverent silence was maintained throughout the vast throng. Honorable J. Henry Birch of Louisiana read the Proclamation of Emancipation, which was received with as much enthusiasm as if it had just been issued, and at the conclusion the Marseillaise hymn was played. Professor Langston explained that Reverend William G. Eliot, who was to present the monument, had been unable to attend, and introduced in his stead Mr. James E. Yateman, President of the Western Sanitary Commission. Mr. Yateman said, The Reverend William G. Elliot of St. Louis, to whom had been assigned the presentation of the monument for the acceptance and approval of those who had contributed the funds for its erection, and to give a short historical account of the same, has been prevented from doing so, and it has only been within the last few hours that I received notice that he could not be present, and that I was requested to take his place, which I am but poorly qualified to do. Asking your kind and considerate indulgence, I shall proceed as the representative and president of the Western Sanitary Commission, to whom was entrusted the contributions of the freedmen and the expenditure of the same for the erection of a freedman's memorial at the National Capitol. It is perhaps proper that I should tell you how it was that a sanitary commission came to be entrusted with this work. This commission, composed of Reverend William G. Elliott, George Partridge, Carlos S. Greeley, Dr. J. B. Johnson and James E. Yateman, well-known Union citizens of St. Louis, were appointed by General John C. Fremont and afterwards ratified by Secretary Stanton. Their duties, principally, were to look after the sick and to fit up and furnish hospitals, provide competent nurses, etc. But as the war progressed, their duties were greatly enlarged. The care of the families and orphans of soldiers, Union refugees, the freedmen in short, all the humanities growing out of the war came under their charge. For these various purposes, large sums of money, clothing, etc., were contributed and sent to them, and I can say, honestly and judiciously expended. And finally, after the war was closed, after the lamented, honored, and loved Lincoln had been so foully assassinated in his city, five dollars were sent to us. The contribution of Charlotte Scott, a poor slave woman, who, on hearing the assassination of President Lincoln, went, in great distress, to her mistress, that had been, for she was then free, and said to her, 
The colored people have lost their best friend on earth. Mr. Lincoln was our best friend, and I will give five dollars of my wages towards erecting a monument to his memory. This money, this five dollars, this grain of mustard seed, contributed by Charlotte Scott in gratitude to her deliverer, was sent to us by our former master, Mr. P. Rucker, through the hands of General T. C. H. Smith, then in command of the military post of St. Louis, having received it from Mr. Rucker, who was a Union refugee from Virginia, having sought safety for himself and family in Marietta, Ohio, taking along with him Charlotte Scott and perhaps others belonging to him. It was this five dollars that was the foundation of this beautiful and appropriate memorial which we now see before us. General Smith addressed a letter to me, conveying it, which was as follows. St. Louis, April 26, 1864. James E. Yateman, Esquire. My dear sir, a poor Negro woman of Marietta, Ohio, one of those made free by President Lincoln's proclamation, proposes that a monument to their dead friend be erected by the colored people of the United States. She has handed to a person in Marietta five dollars as her contribution for the purpose. Such a monument would have a history more grand and touching than any of which we have account. Would it not be well to take up this suggestion and make it known to the freedmen? Yours truly, T. C. H. Smith. In compliance with General Smith's suggestion, I published his letter with a card stating that any desiring to contribute to a fund for such a purpose that the Western Sanitary Commission would receive the same and see that it was judiciously appropriated as intended. In response to this communication, liberal contributions were received from colored soldiers under the command of General J. W. Davidson, headquarters at Natchez, Mississippi, amounting in all to $12,150. This was subsequently increased from other sources to $16,242. From the liberal contributions made in the first instance, we are led to believe that a very much larger sum would have been subscribed, but as our determination was to have a free will offering without solicitation, we determined to rest with what was voluntarily contributed. Harriet Hosner, one of America's greatest sculptors, asked for permission to submit a design, which she did. It was one of great beauty and merit, and could it have been executed, it would have been one of the grandest and most beautiful monumental works of art ever erected in this or any other country. I mention this here as the design has doubtless been seen by some that are now present. It was published in the London Art Journal and other journals published in this and other countries. I trust yet that the gratitude of the freed people will prompt them to execute this grand design. I now proceed to give you the history of the Lincoln Monument as adapted and executed. One of the members of the Western Sanitary Commission, Rev. William G. Elliott, being in Florence in the autumn of 1869, when visiting the studio of Mr. Thomas Ball, saw the group subsequently adopted, and was so much pleased with it that he spoke strongly in its praise after returning to St. Louis. He had learned from Mr. Ball that the work was conceived and executed under the first influence of the news of Mr. Lincoln's assassination. No order for such a group had been received, but Mr. Ball felt sure that the time would come when there would be a demand for it, and, at any rate, he felt an inward demand to produce it. His aim was to present one single idea representing the great work for the accomplishment of which Abraham Lincoln lived and died, and all accessory ideas are carefully excluded. Mr. Ball also determined not to part with it 
except under such circumstances as to ensure its just appreciation, not merely as a work of art, but as a labor of love, a tribute to American patriotism. For several years, it has stood there in its place greatly admired, but not finding the direction of its rightful destination. But when the artist heard of the possible use to which it might be put, as the memorial of freedom by the emancipated slaves themselves, he at once said that he should hold it with that view until the commission was prepared to take action, and that the price to be paid would be altogether a secondary consideration. When the description was given to the other members of the Western Sanitary Commission, they sent for photographs, four of which, presenting the group at different points of view, were taken in Florence and forwarded to them. They at once decided to accept the design, and an order was given for its immediate execution in bronze in accordance with the suggestion made by Mr. Ball. The original group was in Italian marble and differs in some respects from the bronze now to be inaugurated. In the original, the kneeling slave is represented as perfectly passive, receiving the boon of freedom from the hand of the great liberator. But the artist justly changed this. To bring the presentation nearer to the historical fact, by making the emancipated slave an agent in his own deliverance. He is, accordingly, represented as exerting his own strength with strained muscles in breaking the chain which had bound him. A far greater degree of dignity and vigor, as well as of historical accuracy, is thus important. The original was also changed by introducing, instead of an ideal slave, the figure of a living man, the last slave in Missouri taken up under the fugitive slave law, and who was, at one time, rescued from his captors, who had transcended their legal authority. Under the orders of the Provost Marshal of St. Louis, his name was Archer Alexander, and his condition of legal servitude continued until the Emancipation Act became the law of the land. A photographic picture was sent to Mr. Ball, who was given both the face and manly bearing of the Negro. The ideal group is thus converted into the literal truth of history without losing anything of its artistic conception or effect. The monument, in bronze, now inaugurated, was cast at the Royal Foundry in Munich. An exact copy of the original group, as just designed by Mr. Ball, has been executed by him in pure white Italian marble for the Western Sanitary Commission and will be permanently placed as Friedman's Memorial in some public building of St. Louis. Of the eminent sculptor Thomas Ball, to whose genius and love of country the whole praise of the work is due, it is unnecessary to speak. His design was accepted, after three years' diligent seeking, solely on its merit. But it is a source of congratulation to all lovers of the American Union that this monument, in memory of the people's president of the freedmen's best friend, is from the hand of one who not only stands in the foremost rank of living artists, but who is himself proud to be called an American citizen. The amount paid Mr. Ball for the bronze group was $17,000, every cent of which has been remitted to him. So you have a finished monument, all paid for. The government appropriated $3,000 for the foundation and pedestal upon which the bronze group stands, making the cost in all $20,000. I have thus given you a brief history of the Freedmen's Memorial Monument and how and why the Western Sanitary Commission came to have anything to do with it. To them, it has been a labor of love. In the execution of the work, they have exercised their best judgment. 
done the best that could be done with the limited means they had to do it with. It remains with you and those who will follow to say how wisely or how well it has been done. Whatever of honor, whatever of glory belongs to this work should be given to Charlotte Scott, the poor slave woman. Her offering of gratitude and love, like that of the widow's might, will be treasured in heaven when the gifts of those rich in this world's good shall have passed away and been forgotten. Professor Langston, when receiving the statue, said, In behalf of our entire nation, in behalf especially of the donors of the fund with whose investment you and your associates of the Western Sanitary Commission have been charged, I tender to you, sir, and through you to the Commission, our sincere thanks for the prompt and wise performance of the trust and duty committed to your care. The finished and appropriate memory and honor of him who is to be forever known in the records of the world's history as the emancipator of the enslaved of our country, we unveil it to the gaze, the admiration of mankind. Fellow citizens, according to the arrangement of the order of exercises of this occasion, it has fallen to my lot to unveil the statue which we dedicate today. But we have with us the President of the United States, and it strikes me that it is altogether fit and proper to now ask him to take part in the exercises so far as to unveil this monument. President Grant advanced to the front of the stand. A moment passed in the deepest silence, but when the President pulled the cord and the flags fell away, and the bronze figures were exposed to view, the people burst into spontaneous applause and exclamations of admiration. To the noisy manifestations of admiration were added the booming of cannon and the strains of the band, which struck up Hail to the Chief. Professor Langston then announced that, by request, an original poem had been contributed by a colored lady of New York, Miss Cordelia Ray, and it would be read by Mr. William E. Matthews of Baltimore. Mr. Matthews stepped forward amid applause and read as follows. Today, O martyr chief, beneath the sun, we would unveil thy form to thee who won the applause of nations for thy soul sincere, a living tribute we would offer here. T'was thine not worlds to conquer, but men's hearts, to change to balm the sting of slavery's darts. In lowly charity thy joy to find, and open gates of mercy on mankind. And so they come, the freed, with grateful gift, from whose sad path the shadows thou didst lift. Eleven years have rolled their seasons round, since its most tragic close thy life-work found. Yet through the vistas of the vanished days we see thee still responsive to our gaze, as ever to thy country's solemn needs, no regal coronets but princely deeds. Were thy chaste diadem of truer worth, thy modest virtues than the gems of earth. Staunch, honest, fervent in the purest cause, truth was thy guide, her mandates were thy laws. Rare heroism, spirit purity, the storied Spartan's stern simplicity, such moral strength as gleams like burnished gold, amid the doubts of men of weaker mold were thine called in thy country's sorest hour when brother knew not brother mad for power to guide the helm through bloody deeps of war while distant nations gazed in anxious awe unflinching in the task thou didst fulfill thy mighty mission 
with a deathless will. Born to a destiny the most sublime, thou wert, O Lincoln, in the march of time. God bade thee pause and bid the oppressed go free, most glorious boon given to humanity. While slavery ruled the land, what deeds were done? What tragedies enacted neath the sun? Her page is blurred with records of defeat, of lives heroic lived in silence meet. For the world's praise of woe, despair, and tears, the speechless agony of weary years. Thou utterest the word, and freedom fair rang her sweet bells on the clear winter air. She waved her magic wand, and lo, from far a long procession came with many a scar. Their brows were wrinkled in the bitter strife. Full many had said their sad farewell to life. But on they hastened, free, their shackles gone. The aged, young, in infancy was born to offer unto thee Laupeans of praise their happy tribute after saddest days. A race set free, the deed brought joy and light. It bade calm justice from her sacred height. When faith and hope and courage slowly waned, unfurl the stars and stripes at last unstained. The nations rolled acclaim from sea to sea, and heaven's vaults rang with freedom's harmony. The angels mid the amaranths must have hushed, their chanted cadence as upward rushed, the hymn sublime, and as the echoes pealed, God's ceaseless benison the action sealed. As now we dedicate this shaft to thee, true champion in all humility, and solemn earnestness we would erect, a monument invisible, undecked, save by our allied purpose to be true to freedom's loftiest precepts, so that through the fiercest contests we may walk secure, fixed on foundations that may still endure, when granite shall have crumbled to decay and generations passed from earth away. Exalted patriot, illustrious chief, thy life's immortal work compels belief. Today in radiance thy virtues shine, and how can we a fitting garland twine? Thy crown most glorious is a ransomed race. High on our country's scroll we fondly trace in lines of fadeless light that softly blend emancipator, hero, martyr, friend. While freedom may her holy scepter claim, the world shall echo with our Lincoln's name. End of appendix. End of oration by Frederick Douglass. Recording by Edward Graham V, 4th of July, 2020.